Anyway, welcome and thank you very much for coming. My name is Jack Pike. Uh, as you can see, I'm a PA, and um, I've been a PA since the dawn of time, uh, 1975 for me. And I work in cardiothoracic surgery right now, the last 20 years in Middletown. Well, I live in Middletown, Connecticut, and that's in Hartford. And um, one of my other jobs, uh, I guess, is I'm a PA recruiter for Global Health Outreach, which is the missions arm of CMDA. So if those who are here who are interested, well, then I'm more than interested in talking to you. I'm curious, uh, how many PAs are here? Zero. One. And NPs? Excellent. Well, um, this, obviously, I, I was uh, thinking about this earlier when, um, not earlier today, but yesterday, I was at a, at a, a session and the lady asked, you know, how many people had been on a mission trip and, uh, and how many had not. And, and about maybe half of the people had not been on a mission trip. And it's, it's, it's awesome that there are so many people here with a desire to serve the Lord in that. But it reminded me that as we go through this, that, um, that this, this obviously will be new for some, for some of you as to what it is we actually are seeing on the mission field. My goal really today, I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the data on healthcare. I want to kind of lay a groundwork, if you will, and talk about some of the health issues in low-income countries, which is where we, we typically go to, and, um, and then to concentrate a little bit more as we get to the end on talking about what it is we actually could, should, whatever, treat as we go on the mission trip. And I'd like to leave a little bit of time maybe for, um, for a little bit of discussion and a little bit of interactivity, if you will. Um, this is my wife. Can you all see that slide okay? Um, could, can you turn that? Could I, I'm tethered here. Just turn that other one off and maybe it'll be a little bit easier. Maybe a little bit easier. I don't know. Anyway, this is my wife who's here with me, and this was in India. Uh, we were married for six months when she went on a mission trip with me, and it was, I know, it was a little bit of an eye-opener for her to go. The interesting thing about this this picture and this village is that we were in this village, we were brought to this village, and there had never been a white person in that village. And it was a pretty awesome experience uh, when we went. We were taken by the people there, and they had never, there had never been a white person there. And we actually had a, we had a chance, just another picture of the village. Again, it may not project well, but we actually had a chance to uh, have a little service with them there through interpreters, of course, and then and then move on, but it, I, I never forget that, that it was really a, quite, a, quite a thing to be where, you know, some of these people had never ever uh, seen a white person before. Anyway, a lot is written about short-term mission trips and their impact on the cultures uh, that they visit. Um, <clears throat> if you've done any reading, you know that secular writers tend to be... Um, pretty skeptical about the success of short-term missions. There's a lot of, uh, especially when they're combined with spiritual goals. My own association, which is called the American Academy of PAs, put out this white paper, and they were, they were while they espoused some of it, they were, you know, a lot of, a lot of places tend to be pretty skeptical about just 
what happens on short-term mission trips. I'm not saying there isn't some, uh, you know, basis in fact on that as far as being careful, but uh, um, but I think that as we again as we move into this into this presentation, uh, I want us to think about um, not only what what we're treating, but also you know our goals, especially for those of us gathered here in, in the spiritual sense as well. Um, the British Medical Journal, uh, just to kind of reemphasize, uh, said when they were talking about it, and this was uh, talking about an experience in Nepal, but they said these tourists are often working outside their trained specialty or have little concept of how that specialty applies to wherever country. They frequently don't understand local illness, presentation, culture, or language. They often offer inappropriate treatment because they think they must give something. That will tie into what I'm going to say a little bit later, too. The consultations are often one-off with little possibility for follow-up, and the local health providers are left to pick up the pieces with no record of the consultation. Again, I, I can't totally, I can't totally uh, you know, disagree with, with some of that. Um, uh, when, uh, if any of you have been on trips, then there, there's, there's been a lot of discussion uh, about, you know, what, what do we do on a trip, and, and that, that it's, not a, it's not a place for experimentation or for somebody to, to do something that they've not really been trained in. Um, well, taking a look at our American experience um, uh, from the British, um, what's the BMHC, I used to look at that up, BMHC Health Services Research, which is an electronic-only medical journal, and uh, they estimate that uh, in 2008, a 2008 paper noted that there are 6,000 short-term mission trips uh, from the U.S. annually at an uh, at a, at a estimated cost of $250 million. Now, the, the missions are at an all-time high, you know, with churches and different groups doing it. Some are religious. Uh, many are. Uh, some are just secular uh, organizations and, uh, and some are academic. Uh, short-term missions are beginning to be incorporated a lot into rotations for medical schools, PA schools, and, and perhaps other schools that, that are beginning to utilize them as rotations. And uh, so, but there's no question that often there, that there is a, a lack of cultural preparation for those who are doing that. And, and that long-term mistakes can be made or often made that uh, do significant damage to, to uh, future efforts. So, but, you know, again, and I think you all agree with me that our, our mission, our impact um, is, um, is different from secular organizations in that uh, when they go out, uh, we are representing Jesus Christ. And what we do is ultimately is that we hope that uh, those that we're serving will see will see Jesus in us, and us, and we see Him in them. One of my favorite verses uh, for the uh, for uh, for me for trips is Matthew 25: 35 to 40. For I was hungry, and you gave me food; I was thirsty, and you gave me drink; I was stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, "Lord, when did you see? When did we see you hungry and feed you, etc.?" And he says, "Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me." 
and often talk about that that uh, with our teams when we go out. And I've been privileged to be a team leader with uh, with GHO to India, and to just reinforce that um, that that we would we would hope that when we go out that they will see they will see the the face of Christ and that compassion in me and in our team as <clears throat> as we go out on a trip. Um, so uh, what are, what are we doing when we go out? What are what are our treatment goals in in the in, in our community as we go out? Well, everyone has been on a mission trip. Um, you if you, you've been let me let me let me do ask how many have been on mission trips here? So the vast majority. How many have not? A few less. Well, if you've been out and you've been on the field, you you realize and remember the the frustration that that as we deal with their physical needs and know that what we do frequently is not the last word uh, by any means in in uh, in many of their illnesses. I'll talk more about that later as we as we discuss what we treat in the field. But you know, and our obligation is to give them um, the very best care. Dave Stevens this morning was given a <clears throat> presentation. I don't know if anybody will get to Dave's presentation about ethics and so on on the mission field. And he was talking about um, really about the issues that come up in a, in a hospital setting, not so much with short term, but those in a mission, in a, in a, in a field, and all these decisions that have to be made sometimes. And one of the things he talked about was, well, when the, uh, when the government official comes in uh, and whoever's the head of, um, in the parliament and they come in and they want to be uh, seen ahead of everyone else. And, and, and I've, I've had that experience where the, the head of the village or whatever brings his family. And, and, and obviously it could be a very delicate situation and, and you don't want to offend people. And, and how you how you uh, how you approach that is, is it's 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 not cut and dry by no means as you deal with these people. But the bottom line is is that whether it's um, whether it's the chieftain or the the government official or whether it's the person that's standing in line uh, for whatever it is that they deserve the very very best that I can give them and that we can give them uh, in in that case. So. Again, our first thing, obviously, is physical. The next is spiritual um, healing and wholeness. And thank God that <clears throat> along with offering um, the, that physical help that, that, we're gonna, that we do, that we can come alongside them and bring the love and compassion of Christ into their lives. And <clears throat> what we do for them, and I emphasize this, no matter how small, no matter how small uh, can open the door to ministering uh, to their spiritual condition. And I, I'm sure that most of us, we've all witnessed that, <clears throat> that miracle of bringing, of seeing, bringing someone to the Lord and, and, and seeing them converted for Christ uh, while, we're, while we're ministering to their physical needs. Um, I think one of the things that's uh, important about this particular picture that I have there is that in India, typically, we're uh, usually ministering to the untouchables. And um, if if you think of India, India has one point, I think it's 1.2 billion people now in that country. And of that, 
250,000, 250 million, think of that, that's almost the population of our country, 250 million of them are untouchables. They're people who are considered less than human. They, they're, they're, they don't even, they shouldn't even exist in the eyes of those in that caste system there. And so they have no access to anything, education, health care, absolutely nothing. But, the, but the, the act of doing that, of putting your hand on them, that is an incredible act of, of taking and being willing to put your hand on them and come and make human contact with these people and, and uh, yeah, bring them physical, physical help, <clears throat> but also bring them spiritual help. That's a, that is a, an act that I think very often people who do go don't even realize just what that means to them to have somebody that's willing to make physical contact with them. So anyway, what we do, what we do, um, as little as it may be, why that just you know that just opens that door to uh, to eventually to having a spiritual contact with them. So often. Um, uh, so often on, on a mission trip, and, um, and I've heard it many times, particularly with somebody who's new, is they'll come back at the end of the day or at some point and just say, I don't feel like I'm doing anything. Uh, have you had that experience? Have you felt that? Go on a nursery trip they felt, what, what did I do today? I, I didn't do anything. I felt like I was just spitting in the wind, if you will. And they often need a little bit of reorienting and getting back to what is that goal? What is it we're there for? Um, yeah, we're, we definitely want to do whatever we can to meet their needs, but we, wanna, we want that to be the, that open door to, to bring them in contact with the living God. <clears throat> and then, of course, uh, emotional help. So often I, I, I can't even begin sometimes to try to wrap my, my mind around the, the incredible desperate circumstances that these people are so often found in and the, just the hopelessness that you often see in their eyes. And um, to be able to share that, uh, to be able to you know, give them some degree of hope, especially through a, a relationship with the living God, I, I would I would suggest to you, and I, I think most of you would probably agree that I would suggest to you that often uh, offering emotional and spiritual support I think is as important as anything we do physically for them. Um, taking the time to pray, to counsel them, uh, to give hope—it's a powerful, it's a powerful and effective uh, healing tool. It's easy. It's so easy in the midst of. Uh, of a, of a clinic atmosphere when you've got this huge line of people standing out there waiting um, and you're feeling that pressure sometimes from your hosts to get through that line. It's so easy to to just kind of give them whatever they need and then get on their way. And I really always encourage the people on the team to just, if if the Lord leads you to stop, and pray with them to whatever you do that. It's not numbers. Yeah, we do want to treat as many as we can or whatever, but it's just not about, well, we saw 587 people today. You know, it isn't all about that. It just isn't. Um, and at the end of a, a week or however long you're there, at the end of that two weeks, 
when you've seen 587 people every day, there will still be 587 people standing out there waiting to get there, and they'll just turn around. And amazingly, most of them just, you know, they just they accept it as part of, that's part of life, you know. Or most of us would probably be, you know, having a fit that, you know, we weren't seen. They just turn around and they go their way. Uh, it's, it's, always, it's always an amazing thing for me. Uh, <clears throat> trying to do a little bit of a kind of, again, as a precursor to talking about what we're going to see, I thought I would um, discuss uh, some data from the World Health Organization about uh, uh, the, um, some of the, the uh, top ten causes of death and, and, and risk factors that we run into, uh, sort of as a, you know, a framework of data. Um, and as you can see, I, I put them side by side. Uh, the next slide has six through ten. I put them side through side of what we see in the low-income country versus what is statistically globally. And you can see, obviously, coronary disease is still up there big time, uh, no matter where you are. But um, look at the low-income countries where low respiratory diarrheal diseases, of course, HIV and AIDS. Um, but again, other things like stroke. Um, and then when you get into uh, 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 COPD, TB, and we'll look at the low-income and you could you could see the difference and but um, and malaria, which doesn't even get into the top ten percent globally um, and then prematurity and low birth weights. I thought it was interesting that that was there globally and in low income countries number ten with the prematurity and low birth weights um, so that's your your top ten uh, top ten causes um, and looking at risk factors again i'm I'm putting this out there because as we get down to talking about treatment, um, I think all of us are committed more t to the idea of what can we do beyond just those 10 days we're in country to, to talk about, you know, preventative things and, and community health education, which I think is really, really important. And it, and it brings up the issue of, of also of, of, uh, of a team that decides to, you know, if they're going to go to this part of, I'm going to Zambia in um, June, but we always, we always pretty much go back to the same area. Um, now we do different clinics, but this whole idea of just not hitting this there and then next year we go 100 miles away with this concept of going back and developing that relationship and, and beginning to work in that community to make long-term, you know, it's sort of that teaching a man to fish thing, but when it has to do with, with health, uh, with their health. Hypertension, uh, big time, of course, and I think I'll see it in tobacco, hyperglycemia, inactivity, obesity, increased lipids, unsafe sex. Certainly a number of these things are obviously are obviously preventable and, and by, by education. Now, what I want to turn a corner here and... Um, and uh, start talking, uh, taking a little look at the the prevalent conditions. And again, uh, the vast majority have been on the field, so it kind of this is not totally new to you. But for those who haven't, to talk about you know what what is so common that you see in the field. And uh, oh yeah, we may see schistosomiasis or filariasis or whatever, but really, you know. So many of the common things that we see here are, 
or what, what you commonly see uh, in what comes through the clinic. I'm not talking about the specialized trips for you know, surgery, things like that, but these primary care trips that, that it, uh, really comprise so many of our trips. Malnutrition. Now, if you look at the previous slides about top ten causes of death and all that stuff, you don't see malnutrition listed per se, but it really is. Um, uh, it really is. This WHO cites this as the greatest single threat to the world public health, and um, the uh, the United Nations Special uh, Rapporteur on the Right to Food. I'm going to just quote this. Uh, stated that mortality due to malnutrition accounted for 58% of the total mortality in 2006. In the world, approximately 62 million people, all causes of death combined, die each year. One in 12 people worldwide is malnourished. In 2006, more than 36 million died of hunger or diseases due to deficiencies in micronutrients. And according to, again, WHO, malnutrition is by far the biggest contributor to child mortality present in half of all cases. Um, and according to The Lancet, which is a very well-known journal, interesting statistic, I think it even comprises even for us here, malnutrition in the first two years, according to them, is irreversible. I thought that was an interesting statistic to think about. Malnutrition in the first two years is irreversible. Malnourished children grow up with worse health and lower um, educational achievements. I work in a CV surgery unit, um, as I said, and I think probably very many of our patients come through the door malnourished. If when I do, uh, if if they're if they run into any troubles, I mean, if they're just if they zip through their surgery and they're doing good, we don't do it. But if anybody runs a problem, we always check albumin and prealbumins on them, and typically everyone's low. You know, people walk in the door uh, in a malnourished of some state, and boy, once things happen, they just you just can't catch up. So that is such a huge, huge problem. And um, um, and like this lady, of course, um, while this could be, uh, whoop, I meant to go back. I meant to go back here. Didn't mean to push that button. Getting too much of the butt. Anyway, this lady, obviously, there could be other causes, but what is it? Goiter. From lack of? Iodine. Again, according to the Lancet, in the most, it is the iodine deficiency is the most common preventable cause of mental impairment worldwide. That's a pretty significant, pretty significant statement too. And so, obviously, what are we going to what are we going to do for this in reality on a short-term mission trip? Um, musculoskeletal complaints. Everyone walks through the door. It hurts here. It hurts here. It hurts there. It hurts there. It hurts there. You know, and it hurts everywhere. And I'm not surprised. I mean, the way the lifestyle that these people work, uh, you know, exist in. That, that they have just immense problem musculoskeletal complaints. That's probably that's probably the most common complaint. That's why I say, you know, yeah, we run into you know some really bad infectious disease issues. We run into obviously malaria, we run into HIV, this or that. But the the most common complaint that comes through the door is I hurt here, I hurt there, 
And GI complaints is another big issue. Um, and that comes into play as to what I'm going to talk about later as far as um, what, what we're giving in the way of medication. So GI complaints is another big issue. Uh, ID issues, a uh, big time problem with infections and ongoing osteomyelitis and uh, STDs, malaria, um, hypertension, um, but uh, and then um, uh, hypertension, well, hypertension, diabetes. Again, and I'll just say this that as, as we're going into it, so often, uh, at least in the countries I've been. Uh, um, soft and run into uh, uh, issues of huge, huge hypertension problems with these chronic diseases. And we've had a lot of discussions um, in, in our group when I've, when I've gone in as what are we going to do with this? And we've made the decision that we're just, we're just not going to treat that. And, I, again, I'm not sure what you do on your trips, um, but we, we have, you know, made that decision that we're, we're just not going to bring along and start treating hypertension on people because they're just, they're not going to have the capability to follow up on that and don't have the medicine to do it and just, we just don't, we just don't treat it. Um, there are, like in Zambia, they have government agencies that allegedly will take care of that or allegedly take care of their diabetes so that in reality that really, really rarely ever happens. So it's just, it is the way it is. <coughs> Ocular pathology, um, pediatric illnesses, GYN issues. Pediatrics, personally, I will avoid like the plague taking care of pedi pediatrics. I, I'm, an, I'm a surgical guy, and whoever I can find that will take care of the babies, I'll do it. I am so out of my league. Um, and taking care of babies that I just, I feel so inadequate that I just, I always make sure somebody else is doing it. And I'll take care of the adults and whatever, but if I can avoid it, I, that's just not my thing. So, and of course, dental pathology, huge. I mean, we could, I think we could bring along uh, seven dentists on a trip and keep them all busy. Uh, they're, the, they're, they're the busiest uh, practitioner, I think, there. And then, and then trauma. This lady, uh, uh, when I was in Africa the last time, she'd come in and she was doing something at home and spilled hot water on. This was day two. I'd seen her on the first day and, and gave her some stuff to put on it, and she returned the second day, and this was just so out of anything I could do, and it was getting, it was getting steadily worse. And, and I said to her, you, you, you know, you just you need to follow up with the hospital and Try to try to get her set up um, that, but um, retinoblastomas. Um, that's maybe leprosy, uh, diabetes. Um, so so much to treat, so little time. And where do we start? What do we treat? And how do we make the greatest impact? I think that really is, it, it kind of crystallizes down to that. You're going with 15 people, whatever's on your team, and, 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 you, come, and you come prepared. I don't have, I thought I had the next slide for a picture, but it wasn't. And you come prepared with that, 
and you're like, wow, you know, uh, we have all this. What is it? What is it we're going to treat? And that's where, again, I think the decision-making process has to come in considering the people. So we make that decision. What's, so what is it? First, do no harm. I mean, that, that's, what we, that's, what we, that's, that's the thing we do in our country, that no matter what we do is that uh, when we approach uh, treatment uh, of people, on, people on, the, on the field, our prime thing, first, do no harm. Because many things we do have risks. And um, what's the characteristic of most of the patients that we're seeing? They're illiterate. So whatever you may give them or whatever instructions you may give them, if they're written or whatever, they're not going to remember that. And they're so abjectly poor. Uh, One of the uh, talks that was given yesterday morning mentioned, and I forget the statistic, but essentially, you know, in, in many third world countries, uh, the average is a dollar a day that people exist on. So it's going to be their, it's going to be their medicine or it's going to be food. Hmm. Think what am I going to get today with my dollar? Not going to happen. Not going to happen. And so that's really important. They're uh, certainly unaware of much that we, we take for granted in, 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 and then bodies, and then these are also bodies that are often very uninitiated when it comes to prescription drugs. I'll get into that again in a second. So what are our options? I always include prayer. I'm, you know, I, one of the things that I learned uh, when I started doing mission trips, um, and it was a lesson for me, is that whether it was in India or in Africa, was that most people, they pray at the drop of a hat. You, you, you talk about something and let's pray. You know, and that was a real lesson for me, but I, I can't, and I, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but uh, I can't stress enough that as we go into whatever it is we're going to do, that, that prayer, it, it starts with prayer for them, with them, um, and of course, uh, pharmacology. Um, and uh, let's see, where's my slide? So here we are. This is from a, where's this from? This is Africa. Hosted drugs. And I say, like, are we prepared or what? You know, here we are. We've dragged along our three suitcases full of drugs, and we've got, we got everything but the kitchen sink. We are, we're prepared to, Take care of everything, right? And stop a minute. Let's let's talk about this a little bit. What we're going to do? Let's look at some prescription some things we're talking about when we when we see that patient in the clinic. And this is really where I'm kind of condensing it down to. Not only am I saying personal, I'm giving you a personal opinion here, but I'm also giving you uh, what I know that in, in having discussions with. Um, Sam Molin, I think some of you probably know Sam Molin, who was a director for years at GHO and, and others on trips. And we, we would often talk about this, and, 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 and we would be bringing along beta blockers, and we'd be bringing along ACEs and ARBs, and we'd be bringing along Lasix, or we'd be bringing along this or that. And we'd get these people, and nitroglycerin, and we'd bring, you know, have these people that come through the door with a pressure of 220 over 110. 
and you know they're sitting ducks for strokes and coronary disease and you name it. And and sometimes we would give them that beta blocker and we'd send them out with two weeks and, and a prescription and you need to follow up with this and knowing full well that it's just not going to happen. They're going to end up with a rebound when they come off this stuff, if it even works. And um, and uh, and it just we we made that decision primarily that we just weren't going to you know try to treat this uh, on the field. Uh, of course, diabetes. You know what can we do? I mean, I've I've known friends that have went to I think it was uh, might have been Haiti. No, well anyway, where they you know they would bring along you know a uh, some diabetic drugs, and they give it to them, and then a month later, they're gone. And so I think that's a decision for, for those who are going to be uh, team leaders and those who are involved in, in these discussions in a team is to talk about what are you going to bring along on the trip. And it also comes down to a, a question of dollars. You have X amount of money that you're going to be able to allocate or allocate for uh, purchase of medications. Obviously, we get some by, you know, donation, but what is it you're going to expend your money on? And it, it, sound, it may sound a little tough, a little heartless, but, but what is it you're, you're we're going to bring along that we're going to be able to really impact on the trip? And so uh, I think that that, that is um, something to, to throw out there for you to think about. And we could talk about this, uh, you know, uh, in a little bit of discussion maybe, just what, what your thoughts are about that. What's the maximum number of written scripts that should be done? Whenever I go to India, we usually work with some of the Indian docs. Uh, we, we, have, we have Indian, most of them are usually not Christians, but we always have Indian docs who come along and with us, and they see a thing of patients. They never touch the patient. They never examine them. And they write for the same six things every time. And before you know it, our pharmacy is getting depleted because they write for the same six things and they never, ever touch them. These people are like totally, they are totally confused. Walk out with six grips. They don't have a clue of when they should take them, how they should take them. Um, Maximum, maximum, maximum number. My suggestion, my feeling is, and others is, three maximum at the very maximum. Uh, and that comes down to also what I'm going to talk about later is is what you're going to treat. You know, you cannot treat every symptom that they come through the door with. Pick something, pick one or two, and try to impact on that. Three maximum. It minimizes confusion and inappropriate use, and so often they'll go home and they'll think, wow, one's good. I'll take three of them. And so they start taking them all at the same time, thinking it's going gonna, it's gonna to work. You know, because so, they don't have a clue. I mean, that's a, it's, we have to have a realization. They don't have a clue of what's, even though they've been given the instructions through an interpreter, they don't have a clue of what to do. So truly, really minimize that. Unknown allergies have, don't have a clue of what their, what, their, what their potential is for allergies. And whenever we do, obviously, we, 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 we're trying to minimize anything that's going to have a negative impact, anything that's going to negatively affect what we're doing for the Lord. 
And, and so, again, realizing, particularly when it comes to antibiotics, but certainly anything else, is, you know, we, we have no, no clue about allergies, and they don't, have, they don't have a clue about whether they have an allergy or not. Side effect profiles with continued use. What did I say that the common complaints are? Musculoskeletal complaints and GI complaints. So we give them ibuprofen, and they've got whopping gastritis. We've really helped them. You know, so think about that, again, is that what, what we're going to give them. Ibuprofen, Tylenol, we do use a lot of it. And it, it's, it's fine, you know, we're giving them something, but it's, it's not only is it the interaction of the meds, but we may be just, you know, juxtaposing, you know, two different conditions and, and making one of them worse as we, as we do that. Interactions with other meds. So many people... Um, are using, you know, their own um, uh, folk medicine. A lot of it good. I don't have anything against that. I'm, I'm an advocate of, of alternative medicines. But even in this country, uh, boy, when we get patients that uh, come in for open heart surgery and I know they've been on fish oil, oy, they're going to bleed. That's just, you know, the way it is. So it's those interactions and those side effects of, uh, of other meds that are there. Communication, patient understanding, and I kind of alluded to this again, that they just, you know, as you're, as you're trying to communicate to them what it is they're supposed to do. Now, there are some places that do a pretty good job of, like, you know, using the sun, the moon, and things like that, you know, for trying to say this is when you take it, you know, when the sun goes up, when the sun goes down. There are some alternative things, but for the most part, they don't have any, they don't have these in fact, that's what our, our national partners often laugh at us uh, when we're, we're, we're on schedule. And they go, we have the time, you have the watches. You know, they'll go forever. I mean, they, they don't have any. They'll, they'll go till midnight. And, um, and it's just like, especially in India or especially in Africa, their church services will go for four hours. You know, we're like, whoa. You know, they don't have any, no concept of time. And, again, this whole subject of continuance of meds, you know, their ability to buy them, are they available in the host country where they can get it, even though there's a chemist or a pharmacist, you know, on almost every other street corner, is, are they are going to be able to buy it, and is it going to be the same formulation? And, and again, this whole idea of having rebound effects. So, so I really, really, really give some real thought to this as you're seeing the patient's and as you're interacting with them to think about being very limited in the amount of prescriptions that you're giving them. And, um, uh, and so that, I kind of covered that. Op- other options, surgical dental inter- interventions. Um, certainly, as I said, we could keep five dentists busy usually. Uh, risk factor education. These last two, uh, I think you would all agree that um, I think we're, we're looking more and more at this idea of just not going in and giving them vitamins and giving them their ibuprofen and whatever, but what can we do to impact them, you know, long-term? And going back, you know, going back to that place again next year uh, to, to develop that relationship and to maybe spend a day, to, you know, uh, spend, have somebody designated that's going to spend time with them teaching them first aid, teaching them sanitation issues, 
and all these kind of issues so that you can we can impact them beyond just giving them a, a bag full of ibuprofen or, uh, of, of that so we can really, really impact them. And I, and I know you all agree with that, but I think it is something that is really something that we're more and more teams are really, really, really giving a lot of, uh, about. So one of the guys who's a, a, a um, team leader at GHL, Grant Corral, had put together in the team leader's manual um, a couple little things on how to practice medicine to sort of sum it up for you is we're not in Kansas anymore, as he, he has this for people who are going on a trip that certainly as we go, you know, we're not in Kansas anymore. We're in a totally different culture. Keep it simple. Really, really keep it simple. Um, one to a customer, please. Um, and uh, I think that... Uh, I think it really talks a lot when, you, when you're when you seeing somebody is that they're going to come into, um, and that really doesn't totally feed into that particular statement, but that you select one one issue, one of their major complaints, and, and deal with that because you're not going to be able to deal with it all. First of all, do no harm. Remember quantity, um, that uh, you give them a handful of, of uh, vitamins, particularly, why that, I could think of worse things to take a, uh, an overdose of, but uh, there are things that look like candy to them. Uh, ibuprofen looks, you know, looks like candy, and uh, they could end up taking, you know, a dozen of them because why not? You know, they don't know any better. Remember pharmacokinetics uh, to again think about those drug interactions. Not only interactions, what they may be taking but the interactions between what you're giving them and, and what, what, may be, what may adversely affect them. Um, common things are common. Yeah, we're going to see the malaria. Yeah, we're going to see you know, a number of strange things in the field, um, but, the, but there are very, very much common stuff that, that we're seeing here that they're dealing with. Um, and so you know, think about that. Read up on anticipated problems. There's a great book, uh, a handbook of medicine in third world countries uh, that uh, is available uh, through CMDA. That gets, we sent out to all the, all the um, providers uh, in, on GHO trips that I think is a great resource to read about what we're going to be doing, you know, and uh, seeing on, on the field. And basic tenets of medicine, uh, try home remedies, nothing wrong with that. Uh, that lady that I saw at the Burns, you know, to try to uh, arrange for something that they might use for home remedies because I had, didn't have anything to give her in reality to try to affect those burns. I was concerned a lot of other issues, concerned about airway issues with her and a lot of other stuff, but, you know, home remedies. And as I said earlier, treat one complaint. If, you, you know, if at all possible, take one thing and try to treat that one complaint. Uh, you can never go wrong with vitamins, and there's times where it's learned learn to say no. Take a break. Don't be afraid to that you, you need you need a break in the in the while you're on the field. That there are times where you just need to stand down for 15 minutes or half an hour and take a break, and so you can pace yourself. It gets, gets pretty intense. And if at all possible, don't show favoritism. Uh, so we've had I've seen many riots sometimes on. People that thought they were somebody's getting put ahead of them in the line. Um, so uh, it, it's a very touchy situation uh, when you've got this line of 300 people out there, and if they think somebody's getting a put ahead of them, so be careful about that. 
them. Only treat the patient you've seen because you're going to have somebody that's going to come in and say, uh, could you give me a money medicine for my mom or my sister or my father at home? No, you treat the, treat the patient you, you're seeing. And again, remember, only Christ will make the difference in the end. So I think that's all for me on that. Um, and didn't do too bad time-wise. I appreciate your, um, that your time and your attention. And um, could we, uh, could you just flip those lights on? I'm interested in what uh, other comments or questions or mm. nada. Good. Yes, sir. <clears throat> Sometimes you give them vitamins or you give them antibiotics. They don't take them. They go out and sell them. That's true. Another very good point. Very often used as a as a brokering for something else. Yeah, yeah. But I've seen so often, and I and I and I did this in the first years that I did it as you know, sending them with five scripts, and it just honestly, it just it just does not work for people. It truly really keep it to a minimum. And um, yes, sir. All the problems you mentioned here we deal with every day in this country. Most of these problems are not unique to third world countries. And I think as a physician, you have to use your best judgment to do what you think is best for the patient. Knowing that it's very frequent that what you do and what you advise is not what's going to happen. I mean, we run into that same thing here, don't we, with things. Except that for the most part, I think most people are probably able to understand what you're telling them as far as, you know, as far as the way they take it and so on and so forth. They're at least able to understand the instructions you're giving them. But there, they simply, they just, not a clue, not a clue of what you're telling them. And um, and uh, sometimes just by the grace of God, they get better. So... Sir. There were studies done in the National Health Service in England when, when it came in after World War II. And they found out since medicine, your medicines, it cost you a shilling uh, to go and get your medicines, no matter what it was. They found out that those who um, were given prescriptions by the doctor, only about 80% filled them. And of those, only about 70, 60%, I think, took them as directed. And this is in a... And this is in a civilized, quote-unquote civilized. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, this is in a, <laughs> uh, what we think to be a leading right. country. Right. Maybe maybe in the field they'll do it better than what we do. I don't know. Sir? Do you have a, a biblical basis for some of these decisions you make, like, like who to turn away or whatnot? Do I? Do I have a biblical basis? No, sir. I could not. It really one of the things that Dave uh, Dave Stevens. I think you know who Dave Stevens is. Do you know Dave Stevens? He was talking this morning, and it was he really addressed that in a big way about being in a in a hospital and about when the Rosefin first came out and when they got Rosefin, it was like which of these children is going to get it? Those three vials we have, and which child's going to die? You know, making those decisions you, when you're triaging. Somebody who comes in, they clearly have an injury that, and you have one operating room, and you have two severely injured, sick people, which one are you going to take? If you have somebody that's an 80-year-old person 
and what she her problem you have maybe 70% chance of surviving and you have a 25 year old and what their issue is you have a 25% chance of survival who are you going to give that operating room to i mean uh, these are these are decisions that are often met every day you know by people in in a full time field but I, I and i think that as a team leader looking at the resources that i have available to to buy medication for instance you know what am i going to take along what's going to be the what's going to give us the best you know ability to impact people uh, i couldn't give you a scripture on that uh, particularly about that but I, Do we take vaccine immunizations? We have not, other than taking, you know, the albendazole, mabendazole that we, you know, everybody gets, you know. But it's a, it's a thought. It's a very good thought. I don't think um, any trips I've ever been or we've ever done that. I think it's a, it's a worthwhile thing to think about. Yeah. Good point, sir. Since you've gone back to the same places uh, over time, could you comment a little bit about the long-term effects of short-term missions? I think that um, uh, I think at least in our situation, and where I've been going back has been in Kitwe, in Zambia, not India. I've been all over in India and not ever go back to the same place. But I think one of the things we've done is we're still we're working with the exact same partners, exact same national partners, which is the Pentecostal Holiness Church. They are they're very good at doing follow up with people. And people that we actually would, you know, ask them to follow up with. And so going back with those same people, they're also beginning to see what what we're wanting to do. And going back to some of these same areas, same clinics, we're able able to start treating the or uh, teaching the the health workers, the people that help us in the clinic, the nurses or whoever whoever they are there, to to begin to train them in sanitation and in preventative techniques and first aid. And it's kind of, it's a real, and you know, it's kind of a slow process. It's not something that happens overnight. But I think in going back and going with the same people, hopefully you're going to be able to begin to see that effect as they get out with their own people and, and begin to train it. But it, it's, it's, when you're there for two weeks, you know, or less in reality, you know, but I think going back to the same areas, we, there's no way, that's not possible, the way to treat everybody. I mean, the need is so big that it's it, it's mind-boggling, as you know. And so if you can begin to impact one area, and of course, you know, I mean, all different organizations are doing with, like, with water, malaria nets, and all, that's all great. But if you just say, I'm going to, I'm going to take my little corner of the world, if you want to use that, and we're going to see if we can impact this community or this area. We can begin to make that change, and hopefully it will begin to spread out. So thanks very much. Oh, sorry.